The Bob Murphy Show, episode 250. you gonna do get ready for another episode of the bob murphy show the podcast promoting free markets free minds and grateful souls it's your source for commentary and interviews conducted by a christian and economist now here's your host bob murphy hey everybody welcome to another episode of the bob murphy show first of all i am sorry for the hiatus I know posting has been infrequent as of late. We got lots of stuff going on, including another Murphy on the way. So that's a part of what's going on. But having said all that, we have lots of good episodes coming soon to you. So just be patient. You'll like it. What I want to talk about today is somewhat of a quick thing that I thought, you know what? I don't want to just knock this baby out as we get these interviews lined up for the rest of the calendar year here. What it is, the Biden administration was leaning on U.S. refiners of gasoline. And when I saw the the write-up in Bloomberg, I thought, you know what, this is really a great example of a particular type of economic fallacy. You see it a lot, so let me just explain the big picture what the fallacy is. It's that there's a certain pattern, like a correlation between variables and then trying to exploit that. The government then comes in and uses coercion to force one of the variables to do one thing that typically is associated with some desirable outcome, but it doesn't work in the context of forcing it with coercion as opposed to, you know, when it plays out in the marketplace under voluntary conditions. So that's what we're going after here. And this is, like I say, is a great example where, as we'll see, it's not merely that it won't work. It'll cause the exact opposite of what the ostensible rationale is. Okay, let us go ahead and get into this Bloomberg article. So this was an article by Jennifer Duluhi and Ari Natter, ran on September 30th, 2022. The title is, Biden officials float fuel export limit in meeting with refiners. And the two bullet points for the subtitles are, Granholm raises concerns about low fuel stockpiles in U.S. and minimum inventory requirements raises policy options. So I'll just read some excerpts here just to give you the gist of it, and then I'll analyze critically. Senior Biden administration officials pressed executives from some of the largest U.S. gasoline producers to curtail overseas sales during a tense meeting Friday afternoon, suggesting that without voluntary action, the government could force the industry to stockpile more fuel in U.S. tanks. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm and other administration officials chastised the industry representatives for low diesel stockpiles, floating the possibility of export limits and a requirement for oil companies to hold minimum fuel inventories inside the U.S., according to people familiar with the matter who asked not to be named, blah, blah, blah. Although the session was billed as a discussion of refining operations and fuel supplies in the wake of Hurricanes Fiona and Ian, the storms were not a focus, the people said. Instead, discussions centered on lower-than-normal inventories of fuel with diesel stocks 20% below their five-year average. Quote, the president's team emphasized that energy companies with record high profits, record high exports, and record low inventories must step up and bring down prices at the pump, the Energy Department said in an emailed statement. Administration officials stressed their concerns with increased petroleum product exports and complained companies were collecting high profits while failing to address low fuel inventories. 
and then I'll just read a little bit more here. At least one administration official also raised the prospect of a minimum inventory requirement under which refiners or other participants in the U.S. fuel supply chain could be forced to store more gasoline, diesel, and other petroleum products domestically. Particulars of such an inventory requirement were not discussed, including how it might be implemented, what companies would bear the compliance burden, and what quantity of supply might be sufficient. All right. So I think that's enough summary. You get where they're coming from. So this, like I say, is a classic example of specifically what the fallacy is, is mistaking correlation for causation and then trying to use coercion to force the one thing that's correlated with another, thinking you're going to get more of the second thing when you won't. And in this case, you'll get less of it, actually. Okay, so let's back up a moment. In general, in a normally functioning market, if you plotted, or you don't need to graph it, <laughs> you can do it just with computer analysis and not chart it. But if you looked at the relationship between inventories and price and exports for that matter, generally speaking, you would tend to find the following patterns. In periods when inventories, and by here, of course, I'm talking about domestic U.S. inventories, right? So you got refiners, they have a bunch of refined gasoline, right? You take crude oil and you refine it into various products, including gasoline that gets shipped to your local gas station. And that's, you know, you fill up the pump, that sort of thing. So they have at any given time inventories of that product, as well as besides conventional gasoline, diesel, and other petroleum products that you turn crude oil into, right? So at any given time, they have inventories of those things, right? That it's not that every single gallon of gasoline in the United States is inside a pump at the local gas station ready for a car. No, that the industry itself has stockpiles of that. And if you looked at the relationship between those numbers, the level of the inventory and the market price of gasoline or crude oil, whatever price you want to use, and exports, you would tend to find that in periods where exports are high, prices are high, inventories are low. You would also find periods where inventories were high, exports were low, and prices were low. You would tend to see those patterns in the data. And so based on that, that's why the Biden administration is like, hey, right now, there's a lot of exports going from the United States over to Europe. We're sending them a lot more gasoline and other, you know, and liquefied natural gas and so forth than we normally do, looking at the historical averages. And the market price is uncomfortably high. And the inventories, how much these U.S. companies have domestically in terms of their stockpiles is low. And lo and behold, like I say, we look at the data, those low inventories go hand in hand with high prices. So we're going to nip this in the bud and order them to bulk up how much gasoline they have on hand. And that's the way we're going to help bring down prices. And we may also, you know, say you got to limit how much you export. Okay, so for the purposes of this discussion right now, I'm not going to talk about the export ban. That's more complicated. But just ordering them to bulk up inventories considered in isolation, that's what I'm focusing on. And that's what I'm saying is ludicrous. Okay, so far from bringing prices down at the pump, other things equal, if the Biden administration says to U.S. refiners, you need to 
increase your domestic inventories to, you know, whatever, at least 90% of the five-year average or whatever it is, far from bringing down prices at the pump, that will increase prices at the pump, other things equal. Before I explain why, let's just take a little bit longer to understand that historical pattern that I talked about a minute ago, or patterns. First of all, what is the point of having inventories in the first place? What happens is they have production, they have refining, and then the inventory is the buffer between the actual production and refining and then the consumption by the end user. So they don't just take gallons of gasoline directly from the refinery, put them in a big truck or a pipeline or something and ship it directly to the BP station down the street from you next to your grocery store. That's not what happens, right? There's an intermediate collecting point or storage area where those things get fed into inventories. And then as a separate decision, at least conceptually, I mean, they're, they're related, but it's a separate decision when the refiners want to ship product to the actual final distribution point, whether it's, you know, a cargo ship heading over the ocean or a local distribution center, you know, a, a retail outlet, then they draw down from the inventories. So just think of it, it's like a big warehouse, right? If you're talking about sweaters or something, yeah, the sweaters are made at a factory and then they're put in a warehouse and then they go from there to the Walmart. It's not that they go directly from the factory to the Walmart. They get stored somewhere first. All right, so in the case of gasoline, that's why they're, you know, they're going to have inventory for that reason. And you don't want to run out. You don't want to, all of a sudden, you literally have no gasoline on hand, right? So the function of inventories is just to help with that mismatch between the final demand and the production. All right, so what happens if we're chugging along and let's say inventories are whatever they are. They're a certain level. Everything's fine. Production is what it is. Demand is what it is. And we're in equilibrium where the amount produced every week, let's say refined gasoline, exactly equals the number of gallons that drivers buy and consume. I mean, there's a little bit of a mismatch there where drivers on average could bulk up the amount of fuel in their tanks or draw it down. But averaged over the country as a whole, that's going to wash out typically. All right. So in a typical week to week pattern, we're in equilibrium. The amount of gasoline burned equals the amount of gasoline newly produced from refiners. Okay. So inventory levels stay the same and prices stay the same. Now what happens is, oh, for some reason, the demand for gasoline drops off worldwide. What happens? Well, other things equal at the existing market price now, quantity demanded drops. So exports go down because foreigners aren't buying as much gas. Domestic sales drop because domestic drivers aren't buying as much gas. So what happens? Inventory starts accumulating in the warehouse. Well, not the warehouse, you know, where they're storing it. I guess they could be warehouses depending on what we're talking about here. Various tanks and so forth. However, it is that the refiners are storing the gasoline in their inventories. That starts accumulating because production is still what it was but now all of a sudden the drawdown is lower than it was the week before. So on net, additions are made to inventory, inventory start accumulating. So they might wait and just see if this is a temporary blip, but if that continues and inventories keep accumulating, well, whatever the rationale was for the inventory they had originally in the original equilibrium, now 
they have more than that, right? So you don't want to have an infinite inventory, right? There's a reason to have a certain amount of inventory that you carry in equilibrium. And so now if you're carrying more than that, again, unless there's unusual circumstances and your expectations have changed, you're going to want to do something to stop that. And so you would cut back on production and so on, right? But in that period where you're carrying above average inventories, oh, it also, there's now a glut, right? That the quantity demanded is lower than the quantity being produced, supplied, inventories are accumulating. And so what's the refiner going to do? Yes, they're going to tell the, you know, their purchase of crude oil is going to drop off. Or if it's an integrated operation, they're just going to, you know, give a signal to the people pumping at the wells, hey, slow down. Marking conditions have softened. So they're going to slow up on the production end, but they're also going to cut their prices right? Because they've got inventory accumulating. Just like the Halloween stores on November 1st, if they're sitting with a glut of Batman costumes or whatever, they're going to mark them down to get rid of them, right? So that's what starts to happen. So that's why you tend to see that pattern of when there's accumulating inventories above average levels of inventories, that's going to tend to go hand in hand with lower than average prices and lower than average demand from foreigners. So exports will be lower than they typically are, right? Then on the other hand, suppose we're at initial equilibrium where they're carrying the normal long-run average of inventory levels. Prices have been steady at the long-run average. And then all of a sudden, there's a spike in demand or maybe foreign production gets interrupted for some reason. You know, there's an earthquake somewhere, there's a, a storm somewhere, there's a war in the Middle East, for whatever reason, there's a mismatch now where more oil is being consumed than is being produced. So what happens? Inventories start dropping. And so what do the refiners do? Well, two things. They give a signal that, you know, if it's an integrated operation, just to tell the pumps, hey, start pumping more crude. We got to increase spanner operations here. The market's tight. Or, or and or, they raise prices. And so that's why you would tend to see a pattern of low inventories going hand in hand with higher than normal prices and higher than normal exports. Right? Okay. So that's, you can see how that works. So now, right now, there's embargoes, sanctions placed on Russian exports of natural gas and petroleum products. Other issues are going on. So the foreign demand for U.S. gasoline is higher than normal. So exports are up. That's causing, for the reasons we just said, prices are higher than normal. Inventories are low. Now the Biden administration comes along, and if they say, hey, instead of having your inventory levels where they are right now, increase them by whatever, 30% to bring it up to this benchmark. What's going to happen? And the industry complies with that command. What's going to happen? Well, it means of the gasoline that right now is being sent to pumps, you know, local pumps and foreign producers, some of that is going to get diverted into bulking up the stockpiles, the inventories. Now, they may also send signals up either through price mechanisms or direct orders if it's an integrated vertically operation to increase production, you know, crude level, produce activity at the wells. But you wouldn't expect the margin, the adjustment to be just on that margin. Like I say, 
it would probably adjust or they would probably adjust on all those three margins at the same time. And so the way they would comply with the request or their command to bulk up their inventories would be to partially reduce how much gasoline is being sent out of the warehouses, out of inventories to the final consumers because they got to slow that outflow in order, you know, imagine you're just filling up a bathtub. You got the stuff coming in and then you got some going out and the administration is saying, we want the level of the bathtub to be higher. So how do you do that? You can increase the amount coming in and you can decrease the amount coming out to rate that level rise, at least for a while until it hits the desired height. So that's what they're doing. So notice none of that leads to increased gasoline at the pump at your Exxon station down the street from the grocery store. At best, even if 100% of the adjustment and compliance with this new law or regulation came from increased pumping out of the wells, and so extra refining activity, which was then used, you know, earmarked solely to bulk up inventories, that would still just mean there was no change in the final price to consumers because they would still be getting the same amount of gallons of gasoline coming through to the end use that they were before. But in reality, it's much more likely that, again, that adjustment will happen on all of the margins and the refiners will, yes, they'll increase the amount flowing in, but they'll also decrease the amount flowing out. And that's the way they'll adjust to the new order, in which case American motorists are going to see a lower volume of product being delivered to their local pumps while the bulking up of inventory is happening. So far from lowering U.S. gasoline prices at the retail level, at best, it would have no effect. And at worst, it would increase them. And also, too, you know, just to think through, the reason for having inventories is that there's scenarios when you might use them, right? That's the whole point of carrying an inventory is that in principle, depending on the market conditions, you might draw it down. That's the function it serves. I mean, it's costly to carry an inventory. That's why you carry it, though, is because then, oh, in, in situations when the market price is high, then we can sell more than we're able to produce in those periods. That's the whole point. Like from a, you know, that's not like the social function, but that's what the individual refiner is doing when he or she is trying to maximize profits, present value terms. Because they're saying we're going to carry inventory. Yeah, we could sell right now at $3 a gallon, but there's a chance at some point in the next 12 months, prices might jump up to $4 a gallon, in which case, you know, if we had some in stockpiled that we could then sell off, given what the costs of carry are, blah, 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 it makes sense to carry this much, you know, given our expectations of, hey, if prices jump to $4, you know, how much could we sell at that amount, and blah, blah, blah. All right, so that's why it makes economic sense. You know, you wouldn't need a government mandate to force refiners to carry inventory, just like the government doesn't have to pass laws requiring that department stores have sweaters in the back room or that grocery stores, you know, keep more milk in the cooler that they can put out in case people buy the gallons of milk that are sitting out on the shelves, you know, in the cooler that's facing the customer, right? So businesses keep inventories on their own. Why do they do that? To not interrupt the flow of sale to the consumer and for stuff like commodities and whatever, Part of it is to be able to take advantage of fluctuations in prices. So again, when prices tend to be low, instead of selling everything at that low price, you know, you hold some of it off the market because you say, no, conditions are going to improve. 
it makes more sense for me to pay for storage costs and wait for the market price to rise and then sell it down the road than to sell it now at this rock bottom price. And likewise, if prices spike, then, oh, look at this inventory that we're carrying right now. Let's unload a lot of this at this really unusually high price because we're not going to get a much better opportunity than this in the next 12 months. So let's go ahead and get rid of this now. And then once prices come back down, then we'll rebuild our inventory. And so again, that what that allows you to do is effectively deliver more quantity to the consumer when demand is high than you can physically produce in that time frame. Right? So you're effectively transporting product through time. That in periods of relatively low demand, you keep production high and you bulk up your inventory. So then in periods of high demand, when people want to consume more than can physically be produced in that time frame, oh, we've got a bunch of inventory that we carried from the past. So not only can we satisfy the current demand with current production, we can also augment that with some inventory that we carried from the past. So it helps match demand over time without needing unnecessarily high capacity. That the capacity, it's okay if there's periods where demand exceeds capacity of production because we can't have inventories to help bridge the gap. All right? So that's how the thing works. But you can see in that pattern, if the Biden administration comes along and says, oh, we're going to force you at gunpoint to bulk up your inventory, that doesn't have the same effect in terms of the association with falling prices or low prices, I should say, that it normally does. Because the reason here the inventory is rising is because they're being ordered to. It's not rising for the you know organic reasons that is the normal situation that leads to the observed pattern. Okay, let me now make a final point on this particular issue of the Biden proposal. And just in case there's a little bit of a disjointedness, let me disclose. My voice might sound a little bit different too. I have a bit of flum right now. That I recorded the first take, <laughs> which you guys just listened to. And then I realized I didn't fully drive home the point I was trying to make near the end there. And so let me go ahead and make sure I get it correct. It was implicit what I was saying, but I don't think I actually like hit it over the fence. So let's do that now. Hopefully I don't whiff. What I'm trying to get at here is that the point of inventories, to repeat, is that you need to be able to use them. That's why you have inventories. It's because in principle, there might come a time when you would use them. Just like the reason people have spare tires it's because once in a while you might actually use it. Maybe at this point, <laughs> you don't know how to put it on. You got to call AAA or something. But the point is that actually happened. That we, I had a you know new vehicle that I was been leasing for a while and we got a flat and I had to open the manual to figure out where the thing was. We had, a, in my defense, we had like a bunch of luggage and stuff in the back of the vehicle. And so it was hard to look around. It was one of those ones that was like underneath and you had to, unscrew the thing to lower it. So anyway, I would like to think I would have found it eventually. But anyway, that did happen. I'm not too proud to admit that. Okay, so what the point is you'd have to use them eventually, right? Or in principle, otherwise it's pointless. And so again, the Biden administration did not formally promulgate this rule, so we can't look at the particulars. But I have seen other examples of like preparedness where government regulations insisted on a certain thing in the strict reading of the statute or regulation or whatever it was meant that even in the emergency, people couldn't use the thing, right? So it wasn't about fire extinguishers, the one I have in mind. But just to make a silly example, imagine if 
the government said, hey, you know, we want to make sure that all the local schools keep uh, adequate levels in their fire extinguishers. And so, you know, we're going to randomly send out inspectors. And if we ever catch that the amount of liquid in those things is below the halfway point, then we're going to find your school a million dollars, right? And if they even did that, you know, even if you had just had like a, a kitchen fire or something, you know, in the cafeteria, if the, you know, if the inspector happened to show up the next day and look at your fire extinguisher and say, oh, wait a minute, you used a bunch of it. It's not above the minimum threshold. You get fined. You see how the more draconian that penalty became, it would effectively mean nobody ever uses the fire extinguisher when the whole point of the policy is to make sure that there's enough there in case there's an emergency. The reason that, in the case that just seems like a really contrived, what the heck are you talking about? But the reason that popped into my head is because when I was at going to, we called it grammar school. I know some people don't use that term. I don't know if that's a Catholic school thing. But in junior high, the kids all of a sudden discovered when we were in the hallway, like, you know, going in between class or if like kids were going to the bathroom and then like, you know, you're in your class. So you went to go to the bathroom. Then some kid from his class went to go to the bathroom. If you timed it at the right time, then you can meet your buddy in the hallway. And so somebody like figured out that, oh, wait a minute. Then there's a fire extinguisher hanging on the wall. And oh, we could just grab this thing and spray each other with it. Ha ha. And then the kid goes back to class and he's, you know, his shirt's all wet. And like, what, did you fall in the toilet? Oh, oh, oh. Good times, good times. And that, having said all that, it was, we were more clever than people on Twitter right now. So don't knock it. So anyway, and the, and the fire department came one time for these normal checks. And we're like, whoa, how come your thing is so low? Did you guys have a fire? And people are like, what? And, and we all knew, oops, it's because uh, George and... Jeremy were spraying each other in the hallway for the last three weeks. Okay, so that's the idea. So when it comes to what we're talking about here with inventories, notice, just think of it this way. If the regulation is formulated in a particularly silly way, such that it just says plainly, you know, you have to maintain this minimum level of inventory. I don't know how they're measured in gallons or so forth, or, you know, weeks supply. I, I don't know how they were going to do it. But if it really is just saying you need to maintain this minimum level of inventory or else you get fined, full stop, then that clearly isn't going to lead to more gasoline at the pump for drivers because they're literally saying you have to keep this gasoline in the inventory. And again, if you sell it into the market, then you don't have it in inventory anymore. You're not in compliance. So, Again, if they just wrote that thing in a crude way and just if they literally just wrote up what they were telling the uh, refiners, that would clearly be a stupid policy that would guarantee that inventories would no longer serve their function of helping to contain price spikes. Incidentally, let me mention, I was also thinking after I had recorded the first pass on this and I realized I was going to say some more things. There is a sense in which inventories directly cause prices to move. And this is what I mean, that people in these markets, you know, traders, not traitors, but traders, they'll look at the inventory reports, come on, and if it comes out, and, oh, wow, inventories dropped more in August than expected, that might make prices go up. It's a little bit more nuanced than I presented in my first pass, where I was just talking about how, oh, if demand's high and prices are up, then they sell off more inventory in that, you know, that you, but you're still in a regime of high prices. So it can be a little bit more cause and effecty in the sense that people seeing a report 
not knowing exactly what the inventory situation was and drawdown was in the recent past, then they get the report. And then that causes them to update their expectations of the market conditions going forward. And so then they buy futures contracts or sell futures contracts, whatever, depending on what the specifics are. So that's a sense in which inventories might look like they're directly driving prices, but still you get the idea of basic logic I was laying out in the first pass is still right. That the reason low inventories might lead people to raise their expectations of imminent prices is that, oh, now they're going to not have as much ability to sell excess product because they have large inventory stocks, which would tend to dampen prices. Okay. Let me now pivot and just make a more general observation. And this is something I say all the time when it comes to oil inventories and prices. And I haven't seen any other economists make this, even though I think it's a pretty standard point to make, you know, because it comes like the strategic petroleum reserve and things like that. In a genuine free market, TM, you would not need government intervention for any of this stuff. The private speculators would have the correct incentives to either stockpile and accumulate inventory or to sell it off that you would want, right? For the exact reasons like socially that you might want government officials to maintain a stockpile in case there's supply interruptions or we go to war and blah, blah, blah. The market would handle that better, right? Because just market incentives, you want to buy low, sell high. And that's what socially you'd want to have happen too. That if we're in a period where, oh, if people think there's going to be trouble in the Middle East two months from now, that would tend to make world prices higher. And so what would you do now? You would start stockpiling inventory, buying while the prices are relatively low so you can sell them later when prices are relatively high. And that's exactly what you'd want, you know, government officials running the SPR to do, SPR Strategic Petroleum Reserve. If they think there's going to be tightness in supply, start stockpiling. Conversely, if conditions are tight right now and you think, oh, we're going to have much better supply relative to demand down the road, well, then that means now is the time to use some of that inventory. And again, that's what you would do in terms of just someone in the market trying to speculate and turn a buck. What's interesting, though, is that mechanism gets crippled if during periods of high prices, the people who have wisely squirreled away extra oil or gasoline get penalized with windfall profits taxes, right? The only way that mechanism works is if people who are considering adding to their stockpiles to bulk up their inventory know that in a future scenario where the price is higher than it is right now, they will be allowed to sell at that price. That's the whole reason you would do it if you're doing it for financial reasons. And so the standard thing that happens, you know, whether there's literal laws against or regulations or if there's just the customer hotlines and then the local DAs or the state's attorneys general are going to just harass you if you're a gasoline retailer. You know, that happens every time there's a hurricane or whatever that people complain about gas stations and sometimes, you know, stuff happened to them. Sometimes it doesn't, but still there's that looming threat. So clearly businesses in the United States know that if the price of gasoline is unusually high, it's not an open and shut case that we can just sell at that price and nothing bad is going to happen to us. So that's what tends to cripple the market's normal response to this. And so it's, again, a situation where one intervention sort of paves the way for another one. That given that the government meddles 
in gasoline markets and with prices when there's periods of relatively high scarcity. And so the price tends to be high. Then that cripples the market's normal ability to efficiently allocate gasoline across time. And then that provides a justification for why the government needs to come in with a strategic petroleum reserve. But it's not because, oh yeah, markets can't anticipate future supply disruptions the way bureaucrats can. It's that the people in the market are not allowed to receive the right incentives to do that. Okay, we will wrap up there. Thank you for tuning in, folks, and I will see you next time. You've just experienced another episode of The Bob Murphy Show, the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, visit bobmurphyshow.com.